How many of you like board games? Raise your hands if you like board games, okay? Bunch of, wow, we got a board game church uh, here at Saints Community. Unfortunately, I am not a board game person. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, a little of the ADHD that kicks in at some point or what it is, but I'm not a big board game person. There's, there's really two games that I, I like to sit down and play. One is called Rook. It's kind of a Christian version of poker. And then uh, the second one is a game that our family learned several years ago that is called Farkle. How many of you are familiar with Farkle? Raise your hands if you know about Farkle. Okay, I got a few Farkle friends here in the room. That's great. It's a Farkle, if you don't know what it is, many of you are not familiar with it. It's, it's a simple game that you, you play with dice and you just play it with six dice and basically all you do is you roll and, and then you add up the points from you know, the, the particular dice that, that were rolled and then you have to make a big decision. The big decision is, do I keep the points I already have or do I pick up some of the dice, I have to leave some of them down. Do I pick them up? Do I roll again so I can add to my point total? The problem is, if you roll again and you don't roll the right dice, you get a farkle. And here's the fun part, especially in our house. We don't have a quiet house. If you're wondering, we have a pretty loud house at the Northup house. And you're rooting for when other people are rolling, you're rooting for them to farkle. In fact, in our house, things get loud and the whole family will start pounding on the table and they'll all start this chant that goes like this, Farkle, far, everybody help me, Farkle, 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 come on church, Farkle, Farkle. And so everybody's yelling Farkle because they want the person to get no points and here's the big problem. When you Farkle, Three times you lose a thousand points right off the bat. And so you're weighing the risk factor. It's a game of luck and chance, and it's a game of risk. I have to tell you that of everybody in our family, I am the most okay with risk. I am fine with taking risk. My wife has said so many times, I'm so glad that you don't gamble because we wouldn't own a home if you gamble. Because I am good with risk. I'll go for it. I'll go big or stay home. And, and my theme is, man, I want to rack up as many points. I only play offense. I don't play a lot of defense. And so, man, I'm, you know, every, and my family, they egg me on. So every once in a while when I go to pass, they'll, they'll, they'll go, how are you going to pass? You know you want it. Pick up the dice. It's okay. You know you want to try again. I'll go, okay, fine. You know, and so I, I do that. Farkle is a game where you decide if you're willing to take the risk to gain more points. And I don't know what the scores are as far as who's won the most games, but I know I'm pretty close to up there. So I just had to mention that. It's not in my notes. Let's move on. So this morning, I was thinking about this particular message, and I was thinking about the fact that life in our relationships is a lot like Farkle. Here's what I mean. Most of my other family members are not okay with risk. In other words, they'd rather play it safe. They'd rather kind of ease into things a little bit, you know, and maybe get 100, 250 points at a time where I'm like, man, let's get 1,000. Let's get 1,500. But most people are averse to risk. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that the longer you play the game of life, 
the more averse to risk you become. Am I right? And here's the issue. The longer we are in this thing called life, the longer we develop relationships, the more times we get hurt, the more times we have things happen to our relationships that we don't enjoy, the more, the more times that there are friendship you know, break, breakups and things that go wrong and division that happens and hurt feelings and gossip and slander and, and, and envy and he said and she said. The lo- what happens to us as we grow older, as we become adults and we mature, is something clicks in our emotional brain where we say, you know what? I'm just going to play it safe. I'm just going to not go there. I'm not going to try to develop deep friendships anymore. And you'll notice some of you are in college in the room, and you're going to have to fight this for the rest of your life because the older we get, the less risk-averse we become in our relationships. And here's the problem with our modern-day society and what's happening. Sociologists tell us that we have a problem right now that is called crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness. That is a term to say that many of us have a lot of relationships, but they're not relationships that are deep, that bring value, that sustain us, that help us, that guide us. In fact, uh, what sociologists tell us is that most people have about 35 relationships that they they try to keep close to, to 35 different people. If you're in church, sociologists tell us that number jumps up to about 45 relationships. And how many of you know, come on, how many of you know, it can just be draining sometimes trying to keep up with all of our relationships, right? How many of you are introverts in the room? Raise your hands. I'm surprised you raised your hand. I didn't think you would. But anyway, uh, and so for those of you that are, that are introverts in the room, this is even more difficult for you because here's what happens. This is our, all of our relationships. If you could just imagine all of these different people that we're trying to keep up with. Most, many of them don't know each other. That's why it seems random. It seems scattered. You know, and you're here and you're going, oh, I got to text this person. I, I haven't talked to them in a little while, so I, sh- I should at least let them know I love them, text them. And man, I haven't, I haven't called so-and-so, but I just haven't had like an hour because they talk so long. I know it's going to take like an hour you know to so I don't have an hour you know I haven't had an hour for quite a while now so I I haven't kept in touch with them oh and this person man they just wrote something on social media Facebook I don't know if I still even want uh, to be their friend you know and 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 then this person right here I know that they're going through something I should probably send a gift I should probably you know do something for them and and oh my word this person I haven't even talked to them since college it might be time to contact them again you know and so we're trying to keep up with all of these different relationships because our world has fed us a lie. And the lie is you need more friends. You need more people. And so many of us find ourselves, especially in the age of social media, trying to add friends like well how can I get more Facebook friends and how can I get more Instagram followers because I'm really close to those people they're my relationships they're they're my my people and and I just have news for you friends if you're Facebook people if you really view them as your valuable relationships please I'll have some counseling available for you later later on but so you, you, we look at those random relationships and we're trying to keep up with them and and really here's what I want you to understand this morning you don't need more friends. You need the right friends. You don't need more friends. You need the right friends. Give me three or four 
key relationships in my life. Give me three or four dudes, three or four people in my life that I can go to. And I promise you, if it's the right group of people, if it's the right group of friends, I promise you it's a game changer. It will change the way I am emotionally. It will change the way I think. It will change my spiritual life. It will change everything about me. If I can go from a, gr- a big group of random people that I barely know or that I'm trying to keep up with, if I can learn not to have more friends and not to add more chairs and more people, but rather to focus on having the right friends, I promise you your life will, will be different. It'll never be the same. And some of you, have hardly any of those in your life, if you're honest. I'm talking about deep friendship, real friendship. And here's what I want you to understand. Whenever you hear of someone that has a powerful faith story, I'm talking about a faith story that you look at and go, man, they have done some things for God. They, they have lived an awesome life and their character looks like Jesus and, and, and they, they are bringing people to church and there's something deep that's happening in their life. Whenever you hear of a powerful faith story, it is always going to involve a series of conversations that they had or are having with specific people in their life that are challenging them. And the stories usually go like this. I was just living my life, you know, and then one day I met this guy and, and man, we, we started this friendship and that friendship blossomed and then he brought me to church and then, you know, he asked me to come to his small group and then, and here I am, my life will never be the same because I met this specific person that changed my life. Or it may go, you know, I I was just living my life, things were good, I had a good job, everything was fine, but then I met this girl and, and everything changed because of the way that she pushed me, the way that she taught me, the way that she mentored me, the, the accountability that we had with each other. And so here's what I want you to understand. My life, like yours, has been altered by people who were willing to go a layer deeper or many layers deeper than just surface. In fact, you could say it like this. You cannot fulfill God's purpose on your life without the right people in your life and without being the right person in someone else's life. That's so good. I'll I'll just say it again because I thought it was great. Y'all didn't get it, but I'll, I'll say, you cannot fulfill God's purpose on your life without the right people in your life and without being the right person in someone else's life. Newsflash, some of you have been asking God for the right people to come in your life. Well, you probably need to start as, Lord, let me be the right person and the right friend in somebody else's life. Hmm. I think of my relationships. I'm talking about the ones that have changed my life. Beyond my, my mom and dad, obviously I, I grew up in an incredible home where They've been a key part. In fact, I probably wouldn't be standing on the stage without my mom's prayers and my dad's prayers for me and the life that they live. But I think of even relationships outside of my family. I think of in 1994 when I said yes to Jesus Christ. I think of a guy named Tim Smith. We called him PT for Pastor Tim. This guy was no joke. He was my youth pastor. And and he would stand up every week and challenge us to, to reach people at our school for Jesus and, and took our 
little youth ministry from about 20 really kind of bratty church kids to about 600 radical, radical on fire for Jesus people. That relationship that I had with PT changed my life. In fact, my wife says that much of the DNA that I have in my life, my natural responses to things are from him. So then I, I move on to one of my my close friends when I was growing up, he was a guy that I got into a lot of trouble with before I came to Jesus, and then it took a while for him to come to Jesus, but he came out of a life of drugs and, and alcohol and, and, uh, and really got radically saved. His name was Joe Erostic, and just as much trouble as we caused before we said yes to Jesus, we were just as radical after we said yes to Jesus. We would sit around, talk about God read the Bible, pray together, go out and tell other people about Jesus and witness uh, to people together. He was a transform, transformative relationship in my life. Then I think about this, this girl that I met in college. She not only had an awesome relationship with Jesus, she, she wanted to change the world. And she was smarter than me and she was better looking than me and she was more talented than me and, and, and really just... Uh, just really came from an incredible home where her mom and dad had already raised her to change the world, and her name was Christy Shields. And, and I'll just let you know that her name is now Christy Northup. She happens to be my wife. Come on, somebody. A transformative relationship. By the way, if you're single, who you marry will probably make you more of the person that you will or won't be for God at some point. Be careful who you marry. That's just a bonus. Let's move on. Had a roommate in college. His name was Brian. Brian and I used to sit around almost every day. We would we'd sit in our apartment and we'd dream. We'd dream about what God was going to do through us and what God was doing in us. And we would talk about it. We would dive into scripture and, and we would do things like wild things, like bring homeless people back to our apartment and feed them and, and you know, have them spend the night and, and, and things like that. And, and we would just be radical together. That was a transformative relationship in my life. And Brian is now a church planner in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm still in, in contact with Brian. That was a, a friendship that changed my life. I think about these guys that I meet with every twice a year, and we talk once a month uh, via, via FaceTime. Their names are Chris Raley and Dan Hunter and Jeffrey Portman and Justin Lathrop. And we, we have this little group we've been in for over 10 years that we call Reboot. And this little group called Reboot isn't as much about uh, what, what God is doing in our ministries. It's more about challenging each other to be better Christians, to be better followers of Jesus, to be better dads, to be better wives, to be better people. And we walk away from those times with assignments that we each have where before we get together again, we've got to do these things to grow and to change and to, to mold our families. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for those guys, I wouldn't be who I am today. I think about people in, in this church, Daniel Rickett, who's the location pastor in Bell Chase, Elder David McMullen, and Pastor Chris Buckle now, and, and, and then a lady that got thrown in there that we really appreciate named Jen DeGear. And if you don't know who that is, that's our elder team. And I think about those people, and I think about the fact that I'm probably the closest to those people in the church, not just because we sit in meetings and talk about the future of Saints community, but because we sit in meetings and we talk about Jesus. 
because we sit in meetings and we go deeper in our conversations and we, we download what's happening in each other's lives and I think about those relationships and I understand those are key relationships in my life. I think about the small groups that I've had the chance to lead the last couple of years with guys like Tyler Sawyer and Solomon Rhodes. What's up, Solomon? Wave at everybody. This is Solomon. And I, I think about guys like Aaron Williams, who's now one of the main leaders in Bell Chase, and other dudes that I've had a chance to, to be with the last few years, and those small groups where we learn each other, and we grow together, and we're reading scripture, and we're, we're doing things that, that surface relationships don't do, and I begin to understand that, yes, I have 4,921 friends. I have people that I talk about football with. I have people that I even laugh with. I may even have a meal or two with them. They may even have me over to their house pre-COVID, post-COVID, but, 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 but they are not those relationships that I just mentioned. There's a big difference between these relationships and those relationships, how many of you would agree? A huge difference between those relationships. Maybe you're in this room and you are not yet a follower of Jesus. And you'd say, I'll be honest, when I think about friendships, I've had enough in my life that have gone south, that have gone wrong, that I don't want anything to do with deep friendships. Maybe you find yourself at a vulnerable state because your friendships have been all about backbiting and envy and gossip and bitterness and anger and, and those things that so many relationships outside can happen where we eventually throw our hands in the air and go, I don't want deep friendships because it always goes wrong. And you, you find yourself here today and maybe you're even from a church in the past where there was biting and, and backbiting and gossip and envy and slander and bitterness. And, and how many of you know there's a real problem when the relationships in the church look the same as the relationships out there, right? And some churches maybe find that. I'm not saying we have a perfect church, but I am saying that we are striving not to have those kinds of friendships and relationships. We're striving to have real friendships, deep relationships that will take us somewhere. So what does the Bible say about our relationships, our, our friendships? It actually has a ton to say about interpersonal relationships, and in particular, the story that we're walking through today has a lot to say about how to be a real friend and what you're looking for in a real friend, and uh, newsflash again, you'll never find the right friends until you can be the right friend. So let me give you the background of the story that we read today. David is new on the scene. He kind of came from out of nowhere and he showed up to actually give his brothers some cheese. They were in the middle of, of fighting a, a battle against a guy named Goliath. How many of you have heard of Goliath? Okay. And so, yeah, pretty familiar passage of scripture in the Bible, David and Goliath. And, and so David shows up to give, give his brothers some cheese and some wine from his dad. And he ends up actually saying, hey, who's this Goliath dude think he is? He's just naive and just young enough to believe that God can do anything and God can work through him. And so David actually mans up and says, I'll take on Goliath, to which everybody else you know, in the, the army says, have at it, young man, go ahead. Uh, we'll, we'll pick you up after you're dead. You know? and, and so he takes on Goliath, wins, and all of a sudden, David comes onto the scene in Israel. 
And as he comes onto the scene, Jonathan is actually the king's son. Jonathan is actually Saul's son. Saul is the king. And, and really, here's what you got to understand, and this is pretty important. Jonathan is next in line to become the king. So Saul is the king, which makes Jonathan his son, the next in line to become king. But Jonathan recognizes something incredible, and, and, and I'm sure that he met David somewhere, somewhere along that battle with Goliath and the Philistines, and they became friends, but, but Jonathan begins to recognize something. He begins to recognize, I think, that this guy is supposed to become king. I think that this is the guy, not me. And so he actually strips away his rights and he abdicates the kingdom over to David. And what we read here in verses one through four of chapter 18 was kind of a ceremony that takes place. A ceremony where Jonathan gives him a royal robe and armor and a sword and a, and a bow. And, and he does this to ab- abdicate the future throne and, and to kind of give him these things to say, hey, these things have the family you know, signal on them. They have the family marks on them, if you will. And I'm handing you, you know, all of these special things that are from the family to help you understand that I'm giving you, you're next in line. You'll be the next king. Not me, but you have to understand here that he could have stopped there, but Jonathan doesn't just recognize that King David or that David is going to be the next king. He also recognizes this is someone that I want to have a deep friendship with, a deep relationship. There's a connection that happens. You can see it in the passage. And it goes not only from abdicating the throne and giving him all of these things, but the Bible says that there's a covenant that is made. A covenant is something that would happen in the East uh, many, many, m- multiple times we can read throughout the Bible about these covenants that, that would happen. And, and it says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Well, what exactly is a covenant? A covenant is to enter into a solemn agreement to keep up and maintain a cordial respect to each other and to support each other's interest both in life and after death. So, Here's the throne, David, and let's make a covenant to be not only surface friends, but to have a deep relationship, a deep friendship. For the rest of our lives, I will have your interest above my own, and even after death, we'll keep this thing going. I don't have time to talk about some of the events that happened after death, but it's very, very powerful to see this covenant that was made and how serious it was. Well, as you see that covenant that is made, you understand that I'm talking about these relationships, not those relationships. I'm talking about the fact that these are, are here in the church would be the elders that I, I have a chance to know. Outside of the church, these would be that group of, of four other leaders and pastors that I, I meet with. And you understand there's a covenant relationship that's happening here that doesn't happen in those relationships. So what, when you talk about a friendship, a real friendship, and a covenant relationship, what do we learn from this story about how to do that, about what we should be and what we should be looking for? I'm so glad that you asked that question. Let me give you four things quickly. Number one, personal sacrifice. A real friendship. A deep friendship requires personal sacrifice. And by the way, personal sacrifice requires 
humility. Everybody say that word with me, humility. Humility. Humility is I'm going to place you before me. I'm going to make a personal sacrifice. We see this right from the get-go. I mean, Jonathan gives us how to be a great friend, how to be a real friend right from the very beginning because he literally says, hey, there's nothing more important that I could give you than the throne. And I recognize what God is doing in your life, and I recognize not only that, that I want to be a true friend, so I'm abdicating the throne. How many of you, we read this and we go, oh, that's so cute, that's so special, that's so neat. I think this was a, a decision, I can't prove it biblically, but I think this was a decision that caused great agony in Jonathan. Hello? I mean, don't you think he'd want to be the king? He'd want to take the throne from his father. And so I'm sure this wasn't an easy thing. I'm sure that Jonathan didn't just wake up and go, ah, who wants king? Forget it. I don't want this anyway. Who wants the, you know, red carpet rolled out for me and all these servants and nice meals and, you know, being the big bad decision maker and leading the people and all of that. Yeah, I'd rather just have nothing. I'd rather just live a normal life and forget all of that. I don't think that's how he woke up. I think this was a decision that took time, that required great sacrifice, that was probably behind closed doors, and a decision that, that was an agonizing one for him. But Jonathan says, I'm going to place you before me. I'm going to make a personal sacrifice, and I'm going to be humble about this, and I'm going to be a real friend. So their friendship starts out right away with great sacrifice and great humility. That's number one. Number two, a unity in faith. A unity in faith. It takes true fellowship. I don't have time just to talk about that fellowship word, but the, word, the way that we use it is not actually the way the Bible uses it, you know, and, and you know, there's a, a, in church terms, you know, we'd say, let's have some fellowship together. Usually what that means is, we're going to stuff our faces until we can't eat anymore. But the Bible talks about fellowship much differently, much deeper. It uses a term called koinonia, which is basically a fellowship, a deep friendship, a relationship that is based on Jesus and on our faith. I have friends that are not believers in Jesus. I actually have people that I, uh, I'm going fishing with in just a couple of weeks that is, he, he's, not a rela- he's not a follower of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I'm going fishing with them because I want him to become a follower of Jesus. But I'm telling you, look this way. If you're a true follower of Jesus, it is hard to go deep in a friendship because if you're a follower of Jesus, how many of you know he's the center of your life, Right? He's the center of your decisions. You're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're growing, you're learning. There are things that are happening in your life and someone that is not a follower of Jesus doesn't have that same connection that you do. And so I'm telling you, listen to, I wanna I want just share two texts with you and I want you to, to hear this. First Samuel 14, six, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
That's Jonathan, and he's looking at his armor bearer. This is another battle, and he's saying, hey, let's go. The Lord's going to help us. Let's go get them. Here's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David is saying that about Goliath. Jonathan, who was hiding in a cave with the rest of the Israelites, says it to his young armor bearer. How many of you think David's saying and Jonathan's saying are pretty similar? Hello? You know what that shows me? It shows me not only that they had a common faith, but they had a common calling. They understood their purpose. And so when these two people, when you get Two people together that understand their purpose, powerful things can begin to happen. Come on, somebody. Powerful things. There are three levels of relationships that we all have. The first is surface, surface relationships. Talk about the weather. Talk about sports, okay? Lots of, I have lots of friends, Saints fans, and we talk about football. What do you think about what's going to happen this week, and I don't know, I'm just hoping, you know, we can injure Tom Brady or something like, you know, like, you know, that, that's surface, I'm sorry, surface, I don't mean it, kind of, kind of mean it, anyway, you know, where'd you eat lately, you know, yeah, it's, that's a good restaurant, I've been there, too. did you order this, yeah, I ordered that, and those are surface relationships, the second layer of relationships would be personal relationships, family, health, career, Lord, you can even share some of your dreams with them, but it's a layer deeper than surface. You, you talk about each other's kids. You might talk about, you know, the, your career or even dreams that you have with your life, but then there's a third layer that many of us don't get to, and that is spiritual relationships. Those are relationships based on prayer, reading God's word together understanding how to spur each other on in our walks with God. David and Jonathan didn't have those first two. They, they had the third. Now listen closely. That third one, you gotta get through the first two to get to the third, but they have that kind of friendship. And the goal of our relationships here at Saints Community Church is not to be surface. It's not only to be personal, but it's to go a layer deeper into a spiritual relationship. Amen? How many of you know, you don't have a spiritual relationship with many of these people, right? You have a spiritual relationship with those people. Number three, the third thing that it takes to be a great friend that we see from this story is enduring loyalty. Enduring loyalty. It takes perseverance. There's a time, and I... Not going to walk all the way through it, but in 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you want to read it later on, when you go home, you'll begin to see that this friendship had to go through some stuff because all of a sudden, Saul, who is the king, who is Jonathan's dad, is not happy with David anymore. He becomes jealous. He starts chasing David, and Jonathan has some tough decisions on his hands because he's in the middle of his dad and his best friend, and he chooses his best friend because he understands that his dad is actually walking in sin and not living right, so he chooses to be loyal to David, and they have this enduring friendship that many people wouldn't have been able to make it through, and I'm telling you, any great friend, any real friend, any deep friend, you've been through some stuff together, come on. You've been through some hardship. 
You've, been, you've walked through some mud together. You have sloshed through some difficult times together. And number four, there's an emotional connection. An emotional connection. It takes vulnerability. Now, I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. And men, I need you to just lean in. All, all the dudes, just lean in a little bit, okay? Listen to this passage. After the boy had gone, y'all aren't leaning in. I, come on, lean in. Lean, I mean physically, come on, go ahead, show me. You're leaning, yep, there you go. Wives, help me, there you go. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other. By the way, this is just, that's common in Israel, they did that. This isn't like what you, you know, don't think anything crazy there. And then they, and this is where we're leaning in, they wept together. And here's what the Bible says. But David wept the most. Okay, let me just read the last part. They kissed each other and they wept together and David wept the most. Look this way, dudes. Real men cry for Jesus. And, take it a step further, real men cry with other men for Jesus. Some of y'all are looking at me like, I thought I liked you. I thought I liked this church. Things are falling apart. This is a moment in the story where they're having, these two friends are having to say goodbye. Getting ready to part. And their friendship means so much that they're crying. They're weeping together. Now that's a different kind of friendship. That's definitely not any of those. That's definitely this kind of friendship that we're supposed to have in our lives. Now some of you hear this today and you've already got a list ready of why you, ain't, you can't do this. You can't go deep. You can't have those kinds of of friendships, and as the band gets ready to come up, I, I've just got what I call some common excuses for not having deep friendships. Here they are. You ready? Number one, especially here in America, we're too busy, being too busy. We become so busy with life that we miss living. Mm. We become so busy with life that we miss living. Here's what I'm telling you. Put down the phone, y'all. Put it down. Look at someone in the eyes, at least on Zoom. Okay? (laughs) And live. Live with each other. Have deep friendships. Don't get so busy. I think maybe one of the things God's trying to tell us is, hey, y'all, y'all won't take the time to slow down. I'll help you out. Let's move on. Number two, fear. I don't know what will happen if I go all in with this friendship. And your fear may even be based on past hurts, things in the past that have went south, that have went wrong. Number three, no trust. No trust. I'm not opening up to just anyone or just letting anyone open up to me. I I mean, I ain't ready for all that. Solomon will tell you, night one of every small group that I lead, we go in head first. I mean, deep. We're, we're, we're skipping all the surface stuff, man. We're going in deep. I want to know some things about you. I want you to know some things about 
me. Number four, I'm not willing to be transparent and vulnerable. It's too risky. It's too risky. Number five, man, this, you know what this sounds like, Pastor? It sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work. I mean, this sound, you know, you got to cry with people. That's a lot of work. I got to hold myself accountable and have these kind of relationships. I mean, it just sounds like a lot of work. Number six, being above it. Being above it. Here's a, one of my least favorite things to hear from a Christ follower. You ready? I actually don't need people. I actually don't. I, I'm good. I, I like, you know, I like me and I like being with me and I am my favorite person and I really don't need other people in my life. I don't have time to walk you through all of the biblical reasons why that's nonsense and why God calls us to be together and to walk together. Number next. Hurt feelings from the past, from past friendships. And number eight, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I got news for you. Those of you that are introverts, studies have shown introverts have an easier time doing that because they don't really care about that. I'm an extrovert. So there's something in me that loves a crowd. I love walking into a room with a thousand people and going, I'm going to meet them all. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be their best friend. It'll only take me 30 seconds apiece with each one. It's going to be awesome. My wife, who's also an extrovert, we have a lot of extroverts in our house. Pray for Libby. She's our only introvert. But you know what I've always been amazed with? about Christy is that when we would travel full time and when we would walk into new settings, new churches, new camps, whatever, I would walk in and I'd meet everybody. I'd high five and shake hands and, you know, elbow bump and what's up and, you know, and walk away. And we would meet the first person, Christy and I together. I would exit the first person and make my way around the room and I'd get done high fiving everybody and I'd come back to the first person we met Christy would still be talking to that very first person. That's a level of depth that we have to have. My encouragement to all of you is to let go of trying to balance a bunch of superficial relationships and commit to get close to someone today. How about this? If each one of us could commit to I'm going to take the time that I spend arguing on social media with people I barely know and I'm going to pour that effort into having those kinds of relationships. I promise you, your life would never be the same. Again, some of this, to some of you, sounds scary. Some of it sounds risky. Some of it, to go back, sounds like, I don't want to farkle. I don't want to mess this up. But God did not intend for us to be alone. We are called to be in community and live life together, to strive to be there for each other. Psalms chapter 68, 
verse six says this. I love this scripture. I want you to hear it. Listen closely. God places the lonely in families. Maybe you're here today and you've got 4,921 Facebook friends. But you still find yourself lonely. God places the lonely in families. And the way that we do these relationships here at Saints Community Church, the, the only way that we've figured out, I'm not saying it's the only way, it's the only way that we've figured out how to do these kinds of relationships is by moving from, from being in rows to being in circles. And we have a name for this. Let me see if you know the name for this. Y'all didn't sound very excited about that. Small groups. How about we say it like it's awesome, like it's fun, like it's powerful. Let's try it again. There we go. More excitement. I'm not saying that every single small group goes to that level of depth, but I'm saying that's what we want for every small group to do. To have meaningful, deep, special relationships. Look this way. You're not going to get that on Sunday morning, y'all. You're not going to have real friendships just by coming on Sunday, especially right now. It's hard to have real meaningful relationships with mask on, socially distanced, as I'm talking to you on my way out because they don't want us to loiter in the lobby. Probably not a lot of depth that happens in this room on a Sunday morning. But if you'll take that step and say, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to be in a small group. I'm willing to do that and to stop chasing that. I promise you, your life can be changed, y'all. It can be radically shaped, changed as you live that life.